All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 511. It's just me and Jason today, and we're going to jump on transhumanism. You know, I'm beginning to notice. Well, here's an example. Like a hernia is a pretty common thing. And when you go these days to get a hernia dealt with, it's nearly impossible to get the issue just sewed up like it was maybe in the 50s or the 60s. They used to just tuck everything back in, depending on the type of hernia, but the most common types, and they would sew it up. Now what they do is they use a mesh. What's interesting about that is that there are tons of lawsuits about the mesh. When you get one, they'll tell you things like only one in 300 fail, and this is much superior to the old way we used to do it. And I know firsthand from people I know that said, I don't want the mesh. And they said, we don't have any surgeons here that can do it the old way. You're getting the mesh. The point is, is that they're really pushing hard on this thing. And they've taken the option off the table that was here forever. To me, this is a cue up towards transhumanism. You see these ads on TV where, say, your blood sugar, there's now an attachment that you can put on your body. Um, These are all the slow march from my point of view, towards the idea of transhumanism. And one last idea. In the age of so-called information, which this is actually not, uh, I count this as the age of deception, but we do have a lot of information available to us. One of the curious side effects to culture is back in the day when you met someone who you considered intelligent, they knew a lot of things. What's kind of happening now is everybody looks everything up and they don't know anything off the top of their head. And this too is going to relate to transhumanism uh, if it goes the course and it it ends up going in the direction that's been intended since, I don't know, at least the 30s. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. And a nice and warm good morning. I mean, are you seeing all the ads on TV for medical devices that can attach to the body? Uh, I really do think the mesh is a very good example because there are so many lawsuits and yet they're still doing it. It all seems to me like it's getting people used to foreign objects. And as a matter of fact, I could even throw on all these kind of, I think they're titanium, these things they put in for bone replacement or joint replacement, all headed this direction. Well, those sorts of things are definitely going on. But thankfully, I don't get subjected to live mainstream TV very often. No, I don't either. It's very rare. Uh, And actually, the statement I just made was referencing back when I had to go into the VA years ago for a hernia, um, which was ironic because after I had done the consultation was the first time I ever saw the ads coming fast and furious with the same actors, by the way. And back then, I don't know, years and years ago, it would be the same company, the same actor just regurgitating what lawsuits you know, what class action lawsuits they had going, which also seems a little funny, but I'm not going to get into it. But you and I covered the roots of this. As far as I know, the earliest we trace the idea of transhumanism back is to the Macy's group. And I think that's what, the 30s? That's the 30s, yep. So just to catch everyone up, when you go to Macy's department store, that is in fact the Macy's we're talking about. They have the big star as their logo. Um, If anyone's interested, uh, you could go back to the older episodes where we outline it very well. As a matter of fact, I think in some of the episodes, I may touch on some of the Daniel Estelin research that was done around it. He didn't do a lot, but there's some. Uh, Anyhow, you want to jump in here? So to review, 
Transhumanism is the belief or theory that the human race can evolve beyond its current physical and mental limitations, especially with the use of science and technology. Transhumanist thinkers study the potential benefits and potential dangers of emerging technologies that could overcome fundamental human limitations as well as the ethics involved of using such technologies. Some transhumanists believe that human beings may eventually be able to transform themselves into beings with abilities that are so greatly expanded from the current condition as to merit themselves a new label, that of post-human beings. Yeah, you see labels like humanity point to and all these things they bandy about. But what's interesting, if you begin to think about what would actually be going on, I guess we get the idea. So you'd have a computer on you or in you uh, that you could access instantly. And if you think about that, how much of that information would be man-made information and how much of that information would be more truthfully pulled from nature as an example. But as, as we consider which direction this is going, even the movies and everything are trying to skew our mindset and our subconsciouses to accept the idea that somehow code can be alive. And what was the movie you and I were talking about? The little robot that pulls on your heartstrings and everyone wants, you know, they, they want you to have sympathy for it. Was it Short Circuit? Was that it? Short Circuit with Johnny Five. So that's quite a ways to go. And you can see what they're doing. They're taking a machine. It's a freaking toaster. And they're working to get you to have an emotional investment in it. And this is also found in the name of what will be attached to transhumanism, probably. And that is artificial intelligence. And I would argue that at no time could it ever be considered conscious or alive because it will never meet the very basic steps that were laid out in alchemy and other places where anything that nature has made mostly everything, can be broken down into the idea of body, soul, and spirit. And while we're at it, science often refuses to appreciate, recognize, and usually overlooks the idea of spirit and soul. Just to be clear, they pretty much focus on hypermaterialism, which is the body and alchemy that's sometimes represented as salt, um, which is where we get phrases like, you are the salt of the earth. But anyhow, let's keep going. Post-humanism, meaning after humanism or beyond humanism, is an idea in continental philosophy and critical theory responding to the presence of anthropocentrism, meaning a human-centered or anthropocentric point of view in 21st century thought. It encompasses a wide variety of branches. You know, in the era we're in, we've seen some real big changes. Among them, is spirituality ideas. Currently, you can tune in to almost any big Hollywood production, music production, see the idea of devils and Satan and the what used to be considered the dark side uh, front and center, not hidden in the basement anymore, clearly being thrust out at everyone. And I would ask a simple question. If, we, if this does come to pass and we become transhuman or some of us do, what does that do to the spiritual path of a living man or a living woman? Because in essence, this is complete hypermaterialism. These are machines. These are constructions. These are basically really fancy toasters, if you want to be blunt about it, that are being combined with natural systems. 
So I think it bears mentioning that part of this feels to me like the intent is to snub off spiritual paths. And as so many of us are aware, it is claimed and it has been shown in almost every culture that the highest reaches of a human being's spiritual path is almost unbelievable in the accounts that we get. So what would transhumanism do to the spiritual path of a worldwide society? Well, I got to tell you, I've got one of the nicest toasters you could buy, and I don't ever get the idea to strike up a philosophical conversation with it. No, exactly. And yet, when we watch the movie like Closed Circuit or whatever it is, Short Circuit, it's absolutely one of the main goals is to get you to become you know, emotionally invested in the representation of basically a machine. And it goes on and on. Uh, The Android thing. I mean, you can even consider that. If we're going to have robot helpers, why do they need to look like people? Why Why don't we just make them look like robots? Why don't we make them in whatever is the most efficient use? Like in Star Wars is a good example, right? This droid looks this way because he does this kind of job and this shape and form seems to be the best we can do for a field robot or or things like that. But we totally see the push to figure out how can we get these things to walk on two legs? And you, you can see where it goes. You can see the intent of the push forward of this integration that they want us to accept and approach. According to transhumanists, a transhuman is a transitional human, one who aims at becoming post-human and will take appropriate steps, such as technological enhancement, toward that end. Whereas a post-human, the ideal for and goal of transhumanists, is a being so radically different in physical, cognitive, and emotional capacities from normal or current humans as to be no longer unambiguously human. Transhumanist rhetoric on the post-human typically goes much further than this. It has been suggested by current-day transhumanists that the intelligence gap between post-humans and humans will be less comparable to the intelligence gap between a human genius and a human of average intelligence than it will be to that between a human and a beetle or worm. You know, the irony of this should be lost on no one. It's like all things, like let's take a car. The best cars in the world are not available to everybody. The best technology in the world is not available to everybody. Uh, The rich, the richest of the rich get access to things. So you can only imagine where this goes. Uh, If they make some huge leap that gives some astounding ability to a man or a woman, do you suppose that will be on the table for everyone everywhere? I think we all know the answer to that question. And again, there's been movies made on this where the idea would be that now we're going to live longer, right? So what's going to happen then? Corporations going to be owning you for a new heart or a new organ, or you can just kind of see where this goes. And I would estimate, Jason, that the gender agenda, I will call it, that we see going on now uh, actually feeds into what we're talking about. Uh, After all, it was about a week ago. I actually, I'm not even kidding, saw an argument between two people, one claiming that a man can menstruate, the other claiming that that's not possible. I kid you not. These are the arguments that are actually going on in the world now. It's it's beyond the pale where we've been pushed uh, societally. Well, that's because they're making statements such as, I identify as, therefore that's the reality. 
well, biology has something else to say about that, but that's beside the point. And another point about all of this stuff is something I've been saying for several years now, and that's if they can convince people that you're no longer a man or a woman, but you're an it of some kind, well, then it's not so hard to get you into this way of thinking, this transhumanist way of thinking, because you no longer want to be a normal human to begin with. Well, that's the point. Exactly. You're thinking what I'm thinking. This is a cue up for the complete discombobulation of the truths that nature show us are correct. Nature shows us that if you want to repopulate any given species, for most species in the world, not all, you're going to require a man and a woman. And in the argument that I was just citing, uh, that was, was unbelievable to watch, that this was a serious conversation or meant to be a serious conversation, it finally came down to, look, nature shows us there is an XX and an XY, and there's the basis for everything. But this kind of thinking and this discombobulation of how we consider things as basic as gender is really messing with the building blocks, isn't it? Uh, If you had a whole generation of people who became off balance and could no no longer recognize what it takes to repopulate, where are we then? And I think really that's part of the goal. Another core feature of transhumanism, one which is advocated by almost all transhumanists, is a claimed continuity with enlightenment, rationalism, and humanism. Transhumanism imports humanist values such as rationality, personal autonomy, and so on, claiming that the primary difference between transhumanism and traditional humanism is that the former is not limited to the traditional means employed by the latter to improve the human condition. Quote, Humanism tends to rely exclusively on educational and cultural refinement to improve human nature, whereas transhumanists want to apply technology to overcome limits imposed by our biological and genetic heritage. And that was stated by Moore in 2013. And here we have it again, the hyper-materialist scientific skew uh, refused to recognize that one of the things that improves the human condition is spiritual paths. This has been represented in meditation. They use the idea of enlightenment here. But I mean, really, are, are you really going to try to claim that somehow integrating a machine is going to be cogent with the idea of enlightenment? Because everything we know about that idea from the history that we have access to and the cultures that have written about it is that a human being has to do a lot of work using the truths that are provided in nature to gradually ascend a spiritual path. But I think the main point here is nowhere in this idea is the spiritual side of things even mentioned. And I think that's a big tell. Uh, I think that the whole idea of transhumanism sets aside any idea of spirituality because I think it sets aside the idea of God or a creator or even the truths of nature. I think what it does is it pushes that we know so much and can do so much. We can be become gods of a type by our own hands by simply creating clever devices. That's what it appears to me. So after doing some searching, it appears that the following five points are currently the most prominent ideas about transhumanism technologies. The first one is cryogenic suspension, which is freezing your body or your brain. The second one is mind uploading, being conscious on a machine or in the cloud. The third one is superintelligence, the rise of artificial intelligence. 
The fourth one is robots and cyborgs, not dependent on our biological bodies. And the fifth one is the hive mind, brains connected in a swarm. You know, when you read these things, it feels like some sci-fi writer is in the room, but you and I have had this conversation endlessly, Jason. How is it that the clever science fiction writers, and by the way, we're getting ready to do an episode on some of the ideas we're about to express here. How is it that these things that appear in our world first show up in sci-fi writing? They're invented by a writer. That's what this all feels like. And it makes you wonder, uh, it's the it's the cart horse thing, right? Which came first. So did the person who wrote these things have an inside view that most of us don't? Or is it the other way around? Are they introducing an idea that then somehow gets legs along the way and becomes a reality after time? For my part, if we're talking about writers like Jason and I have covered, people like H.G. Wells and others in that time frame, I think you're looking at people who have had a glimpse at the game plan. But we've talked about this a lot of times, Jason. This all feels like it's just made up stuff when you start reading these bullet points. It does, but I mean, this is the 21st century. There are things going on that didn't go on 50 years ago. That's a fact. And last night, you and I had the conversation about like chat GPT-4, which is supposedly fourth level, uh, what they're calling artificial intelligence, what I'll just call an algorithm. But you can bet your bottom dollar that whatever is open to the public is less than kindergarten level to what they have and what they can use. And that is almost always the case. And you know it's true. But what we talked about last night was Say chat GPT was exactly two years ago that they released it out on an open internet for people to openly use. Every second of every day, algorithms were doing what they do. They call it learning, but they're improving what they do. So in essence, if this is all correct, the algorithm that was released two years ago is not, nor does it have the same capabilities as the algorithm that is supposedly the same thing that is running out in the world now. And this echoes about a thing that nature shows us. Now, I'm not thrilled with the word evolution because of what's been done with it. But if I say the word evolution, people know what I'm getting at. If we look at a human being or a bunny rabbit or a tree, is it true that over time it adapts and updates and becomes better to exist in the environment it is? Uh, If that is true, if there is an evolution of that kind that could be proven and demonstrated, this is another thing transhumanism is sidestepping because what transhumanism wants to do is basically jump in, integrate with a physical body, and then somehow create a situation where that consciousness or that physical body can go on ad infinitum. So you can see it would be at odds with the idea that nature advances over time. Cryogenic suspension is the freezing of the body and or brain after death. This is called cryonics, cryogenic suspension, or cryogenic preservation. These are people who allow themselves to be frozen after their clinical death. You can choose for the whole body or just the head. If technology has developed to the point that their disease or whatever it is that killed them can be cured, The people who have undergone this treatment want to be thawed out. Worldwide, there are now around 400 to 500 people in a cryogenic state. 
The first formulation of the idea was in Robert Ettinger's book The Prospects of Immortality from 1962. There are several companies in existence today that deal with cryogenic suspension. You know, Jason, can you imagine if this actually was possible and 300 years from now they go get some frozen brain from the 50s or the 70s and they bring them back awake and they're conscious again? Think they're going to be happy with what they see? Um, this is the old, th- th- this reflects the old statement I always take from the book of Samurai about how important it is to mo- make the most of each generation. But that statement opens with most generations get a sense of nostalgia at some point where they wish they could roll the clock back to a previous time that seemed like it was better. You know, you and I had this conversation last night. I'll ask everyone listening. If someone gave you the opportunity right now to extend your life, let's just say in the neighborhood of 100 years, would you accept? For me, uh, I'm not interested. I thought it through very carefully. um, And there are things that Jason and I are aware of, by the way, that brought up this conversation. But think about it and think carefully about each aspect and all the things that could happen. And then consider the question if, I could give you a magic vial and you would drink it and it would certainly extend your lifespan for a hundred years, barring an accident or something like that, that might kill you. Would you do it with the assessment that I have made? I'm good. I'm all set the way I am. What about you, Jason? Would you drink the vial? Get another hundred years? My honest answer would be, it would be extremely conditional. Certain things would have to be in place for me to want to do so. Well, that's the problem. So here you are. The conditions are as they are. I've got the bottle in my hand. I'm handing it to you. (laughs) Do you drink it? The conditions are as they are right now. Well, if I was being slowed down massively from the age I am now, that's not so bad. But if I would be aging into, as we crudely might say, the diaper years, and then just didn't die, that sounds like a living hell. Exactly. And there are so many. When I thought it through... And you and I have a reason to be thinking about this in the first place. But when I thought it through, all's like it's, you know, there's a movie. I don't watch new movies almost at all because I just can't take them. They feel so soulless, all the CG and the lack of storylines. But we watched a movie about a genie called, oh, what was it? A Thousand Years of Longing, I think was the name of it. My wife had seen it and she wanted to watch it or she was aware of it. So I sat down and I watched it with her. What was interesting is the main character, the female lead, was aware when she met the genie that almost every tale of meeting and getting those three wishes ended badly. Not that it's either here nor there, but let's keep moving. I don't want to go down that road. Mind uploading. Expanding human cognitive abilities is the goal of many transhumanists the comparison with a computer of some sort is often made. A widely shared opinion seems to be that intelligence is primarily a tool for solving problems and as something that must be productive and profitable. This brings it closer to the measurable processing power of a computer than it is a typical human characteristic. Mind uploading is a theory where it is possible to scan the content of a person's brain and upload it into a computer. The computer can then perform a simulation of all brain activities in exactly the same way that a human brain might do. Other terms that are used 
are whole brain emulation, WBE, brain upload, and mind transfer. This has not, as of the current year of 2023, been achieved in any way. As far as we know, let's think about it. Let's think about this whole transhumanism thing in the way that I'm about to illustrate here. Almost every spiritual path that talks about accelerating your life through spiritual means or the idea of enlightenment, everyone's aware, activation of the third eye, all the parts and pieces, everyone's aware. The main premise or the difference between someone who's not very spiritually advanced and someone who is, it is often cited, is that this is an illusory world. In other words, we have a veil cast over our abilities when we're born in a 3D material reality, and this veil prevents us from knowing the illusion or recognizing the illusion. It is further stated in many traditions in different ways that part of what we're doing here is school. There's no right, no wrong in some of these ideas. And although we know there is right and wrong, but in the grander scope of why are we here, the idea is there's no right, no wrong. You're going to make mistakes, but each of those mistakes, you're going to do it again and again and again and again until you figure it out and get it right and pass that individual test. Now to come back to the illusion idea, what does transit, if any of that is true, what does transhumanism do but keep you frozen with more basically, I don't know, information abilities, you know, processing information, but still firmly stuck in the illusion and even prolonging your life in an illusion with no possible path that I can see uh, in the technical side of things to somehow pass all your tests to spiritually advance and to grow out of the 3D material illusion. Most transhumanists, or at least a very large amount of them, are atheists. So in their minds, they don't want to die. They think that once you die, that's it. Lights out, gone, nothing exists afterward. So they're just trying to be immortal. That, that's a good point, Jason, because if that's true, and the people who started this movement and the people who try to take it up to fruition, then that would be a little bit like the intense concerns wants, dislikes, likes of the coder putting what he likes, wants, and thinks is correct into code that then you're bound to use because there's no option. So yeah, it's a hell of a thing. To me, the transhumanism thing is a little bit like the bottle I just talked about. I'm not interested. Super intelligence. There is no consensus on the concept of technological singularity. Sometimes it is seen as a religious prediction, and at other times as a technological inevitability. A singularity is an unusual occurrence, something where the normal rules or laws are no longer valid or can no longer be applied. Technological singularity was first described by the science fiction author Werner Vinge in 1993. A similar concept was supposed to have been mentioned earlier by physicist John von Neumann in the 1950s. Around 1994, Frank Tipler formulated what he called the Omega Point. He claims that this is a future expectation in which intelligent life takes over all matter in the universe, leading to a cosmological singularity. And this will, according to him 
enable future societies to bring the dead back to life. From 2001, Ray Kurzweil drew attention to the concept in various articles and books, including one with the title, The Singularity is Near. As a predictor of the technological future, Kurzweil relies primarily on the so-called Law of Increasing Revenues. According to this vision, technology follows the same exponential development as a financial investment with interest on interest. Oh, my word. If we were to ask a simple question here, like, and let's just take the last 20 years, you know, what has technology done to culture and societies? Has, on the whole, has it been a net gain? Is it a little of both? Has it been a net loss? And I think people rightly could argue that it's a little of both. But in terms of interaction and how human beings look at each other and interact with each other, it's been a huge loss. And this is just since the onset of the cell phone, where it really begins to be noticeable when you go out into the world or into a restaurant and everybody is just stuck in a phone. Well, what if that phone was somehow part of you, however that looks? I'm just saying, Jason, we can see so much of what the early years of technology have done to the world. And to top it off, What's the biggest thing in the world right now? There's a world takeover going on. There's a supposed new world order. Treaties were just ratified. I think they go into force in a year with what is it, the UN or the WHO, whatever it is, where almost every nation in the world has given a corporation the power to not only declare when it's a pandemic, but everything that has to happen because there was a pandemic. So you can kind of see what technology has done, because it will not be armies that enforce this kind of activity if it moves forward and is successful. Technology will be the enforcer. Uh, it will be the watchdog. It will be the digital fence. It'll be all these things. And here we are talking about combining it with our actual being. And by the way, do you have any idea what this even actually looks like, Jason? I mean, is it like a computer chip in your head or is it like your limbs are robotic? And, you know, do you have any idea what their actual intention looks like? As far as the superintelligence concept or all of it? The transhumanism idea in general, is it that we replace parts of the body? Is it simply a chip in the head to make us more computer-like or is it all of the above? All of the above. Some of them just want superhuman capabilities like replacing limbs with superior capable like cybernetic arms and legs and things like that, or maybe replacing organs with very, very good ones that wouldn't fail like they might be experiencing in life. The whole $6 million man kind of concept where they're basically a superhero. But then there's the ones who really want to get super esoteric about this sort of thing and joining up with machines to be some sort of super intelligent hybrid being. I just don't think that's going to work because they're taking the spirituality aspect out of it. I don't think if you join a machine in any way, shape, or form that it's you. It could be a copy of you. If there's a way for machines to scan brains and turn it into ones and zeros, well, that's all fine and dandy because it is electrical impulses going on inside of you. So yeah, maybe they could figure that out. But is it you? Is it really the essence of what makes you a human being? I personally don't think so, but they have different ideas. 
they have hyper-materialistic ideas that don't recognize soul and spirit in the typical breakdowns that were shown in the period, at least in the period that we call medieval. But I'll, I'll say this simple thing. It's a hell of a thing to be on the hook or in debt to a credit card company. What do you suppose it's like to be in debt to the corporation that owns your heart? Well, the other aspect of this is that these things are going to be ridiculously expensive no matter what kind of economy we're in. And whether that's some sort of life debt or just a very high financial cost in something along the lines of what we have with money today, it's not going to be for everybody. So think about that. It's going to be the haves and the have-nots once again. Yeah, I don't know how we talk about any of the things we talk about without recognizing what we can see going on in the world. There has been an active active campaign since at least the 1970s to reduce populations. That is coming to fruition. There is an open assault to slave out the world, to have corporations be in charge of whole nations who have now signed treaties with them. There is a level of control that we just, people walk around and act like it's not there. I mean, we put money in a bank now And the moment we do it, that money is no longer ours. Uh, How do we we seriously look at any of these things we're talking about as anything more than slavery at a level that is unimaginable? And what's worse, uh, slavery without the possibility of a spiritual path. I mean, as far as I know, if you're a slave... Uh, and and you're not in the worst dire condition, uh, you can probably still have a spiritual path. That's probably a terrible analogy, but I think people know what I'm going for here. How do you look at any of this and and not just recognize it for the nightmare of the echoes of what we see around us now? Robots and cyborgs. The name robot is derived from the Czech word robota, which means forced labor. The link with the Czech Republic can be explained. On January 25th, 1921, the premiere of the play R.U.R. from Karl Kapek. Robots play the leading role in this play, after which the term spread to other languages. The robots in the play were dressed as people, according to the direction. Their faces are expressionless, and they have staring eyes. The writer did not yet have the association with electrical circuits and metal. The development of robots is particularly interesting in the military-industrial complex. For example, DARPA has organized the Robotics Challenge for many years. DARPA is an abbreviation for Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. As a division of the Pentagon, DARPA is responsible for the development of new technology for military purposes. The organization was founded by President Dwight Eisenhower in 1958 in response to the launch of the Soviet Union's Sputnik rocket. The term cyborg was first used in 1960 in a scientific article by Klein and Klein. Their play was about space travel and the inability of the current human body to live in space. For that reason, according to them, it was necessary to equip the body with exogenous components. But what does that look like? Ray Kurzweil writes in The Singularity is Near that around 2030, we will first replace our digestive and gland system and then our blood vessel system and heart. In the following two decades, the skeleton, the skin, the brain, and the rest of our body will be next for an upgrade. 
He suspects that although we will hold on to the aesthetics and emotional value of the biological human body, we will develop freedom of design that will allow us to change our appearance as we wish, both in physical and in virtual reality. How does Kurzweil know anything? You're going to give us the year and then tell us the, the decades that follow specifically what the upgrades would be? I would just ask. Sounds to me like someone's got a blueprint. But I think we ought to say an extra hearty thank you to Dwight Eisenhower in 1958 for founding DARPA on spurious, bogus reasons. They launched a Sputnik rocket. Really, Dwight? Because if I'm correct, I'm saying materiality doesn't go to space. I'm saying that we are behind and in a sealed system, a bit like an alchemist hermetic flask. That's what I'm saying, Dwight. If I'm wrong, then I'm the silly man. But if I'm right, everything you did here is based on a lie. And if everything you did here is based on a lie, then there's an agenda. And if there's an agenda, then how does it relate with what we see going on now where basically there is a group of someone's somewhere going for control of everything everywhere and tracking every purchase made in the world. But isn't it interesting, Jason, that the word robot actually means forced labor, you know, words have meaning, but think about, think about the foundational ideas in the way that I just tried to break this down. So DARPA's formed because we have these enemies, the Soviet Union, and they put a rocket in space, did they? Because if they did not, if I am correct and they did not, then there is an agenda going on here and everyone is being lied to to service that agenda. And when we roll it up to where we are now and we look around, it's really not that hard to see the direction that old Dwight was pushing us. And that's all contingent on whether I'm right or not. If I'm wrong, then I'm the silly man and something else is going on here. But I would stake quite a bit that I'm not wrong. Hive mind. This term is an analogy to the world of insects. According to this concept, we connect human and digital brains together to create a collective brain or consciousness. Just as a bee cannot do much in itself, humans become stronger by combining directly with our brain capacities. Big figures in transhumanism, such as Elon Musk and Zoltan Istvan, are of the opinion that human intelligence, or intelligences, will eventually beat superintelligence in the form of computers and robots. The only way we can arm ourselves here as humans is by creating a network of human brains and with artificial intelligence systems. Given the competitive limitations of our biological systems, we have no choice but to merge with robots. To quote Zoltan Istvan, to be better than robots means we have to beat them. Given the competitive limitations of our biological systems, we have no choice but to merge with robots. In some ways, we as a species may be interconnected via technology, certainly more so than we have ever been before in known human history, but this is in no way a total hive mind of all of humanity acting as a collective unit under a singular controller. Thank goodness. Well, I beg to differ, Mr. Zoltan Isfahan. I do have a choice. And by the way, you're saying that to beat them, you have to be better. You have to be better than them to beat them. Well, you made them. They're your creation, first off. So this thing that you have to compete with is a thing that was man-made in the first place. But I'll point out another aspect 
of very old spiritual texts. There is a hint that at the highest reaches of a human being's spiritual path, maybe akin to enlightenment or other things that might say, is that that individual begins to know everything everywhere all the time. So let's see a robot do that, if that's correct. But coming back around, they opened up by minimizing the truths that we find in nature, and they did it by diminishing bees. Bees are remarkable. Bees are remarkable for a lot of different reasons. From our Derek Condit episode, we were told that it is possible, while science takes a bumblebee and says, this shouldn't be able to fly, which is ridiculous on the face of it. Why would you make a statement? I can see that the bumblebee is flying. So why do you come along and say it shouldn't be able to? What you're actually saying is that you can't comprehend why it can fly. And since you made these rules that don't jive with why it can fly, there's a problem. The only problem is the science that is making the statement, this shouldn't be able to happen when in fact you're witnessing it happen. But in that flight, we have been told by more than one person It may be the vibrational rate that is making that shape and that creature weightless. To get back to the point, I think I referenced once a long time ago, there's a few clips of these giant hornets. I think they're Japanese attacking a beehive and it is carnage. There is seemingly no hope for the bees. This giant armored thing that can't be stung or bit by the bees is just ripping them apart. There are hundreds and hundreds of them laying on the ground. And then a strange thing happens. The whole demeanor of the beehive changes. And why is that? That is because the queen has put out a command. You get what I'm saying? They just referenced the hive mind. So basically, if what we know of bees is correct, the queen said, well, first of all, the queen was aware we are in serious trouble here. And she put out a command and instantaneously across the hive, all the bees turn into a ball and cover the giant hornet and begin to beat their wings. Why are they doing it? They're doing it because bees can get a couple degrees hotter than a hornet can. So they raise the body temperature of the hornet till it's fried, till it dies. First of all, how do the bees know? Secondarily, how was that command instantaneously put out? These are things above the human experience. There are people that tell you, can tell you, that bees are connected fourth dimensionally. This is the same idea of when you go out into a garden and you will hear the alchemists of old allude to it. They'll never state it. They'll never flip their hand onto the table. They will allude to that when you are smelling a flower, that the source of that beauty that cannot be described is a dimension higher than us or a dimension or two higher than us. If any of these things that I have been talking about are correct, how does that jive with the 3D materialism of what we're talking about? And they so blithely come in and begin to degrade nature by downing bees and blithely using hive mind as, you know, I'm just saying, It's completely ignoring the truths that are in nature, and it's a pale shadow, I guess, is my long-winded response, Jason. In June of 2019, the Neuralink company organized a press conference where the new version of their chip was presented. The purpose of this chip 
is to read brain signals and to send them out of the brain. Read and write in computer language. For this, around 1,024 small wires are linked to a chip, the so-called N1 from Neuralink. The company uses an advanced surgical robot to prick the tiny wires in the skull to the right neurons without hitting blood vessels in the brain. So far, they have introduced the chip to 19 rats with a success rate of 87%. Each chip can analyze and send 200 megabytes per second. With a total of 10 chips, that means 2 gigabytes per second. The chips are connected via Bluetooth to a smartphone or other device. From 2020, the company wants to do the first experiments on human patients. The ultimate goal is not medical. Elon Musk has often stated that the only way we as humans do not become irrelevant to artificial intelligence is to merge with machines. Again, I beg to differ to the mascot called Elon Musk. I don't know about you, Jason, but I can't wait to be one of those rats. I can't wait to get one of those put in my mind. But with what we see in the world, within the next year, it is quite possible, or two, that money will be something very different. If they get their CBDC or other forms of digital money, every transaction everywhere will be programmable but tracked. So what can we say of this device? They're not going to be happy until even your thoughts are no longer private. I think it's obvious on the face of it, the dangers of what something like this would do to humanity. Literally getting to a point where it's not enough that we control where you go, what you buy, know what you buy, allow what you can buy. Uh, we know everything about you because the Internet of Things is tracking your toaster and your tennis shoes and every other damn thing that we can track. But now we want to know what you're thinking. And for the final point for hour one, the next article is from Reuters, March 23rd, 2023. U.S. regulators rejected Elon Musk's bid to test brain chips in humans, citing safety risks. Elon Musk has said his brain implant company, Neuralink, will make the paralyzed walk, the blind see, and eventually turn people into cyborgs. But the firm still struggles to secure clinical trial approval for the relatively modest goal of helping disabled people type. On at least four occasions since 2019, Elon Musk has predicted that his medical device company, Neuralink, would soon start human trials of a revolutionary brain implant to treat intractable conditions such as paralysis and blindness. Yet the company, founded in 2016, didn't seek permission from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration until early 2022, and the agency rejected the application, seven current and former employees told Reuters. The rejection has not been previously reported. In explaining the decision to Neuralink, the agency outlined dozens of issues the company must address before human testing, a critical milestone on the path to final product approval, the staffers said. The agency's major safety concerns involved the device's lithium battery, the potential for the implant's tiny wires to migrate to other areas of the brain, and questions over whether and how the device can be removed without damaging brain tissue, the employees said. A year after the rejection, Neuralink is still working through the agency's concerns. 
Three staffers said they were skeptical the company could quickly resolve the issues, despite Musk's latest prediction at a November 30th presentation that the company would secure FDA human trial approval this spring. Neuralink has not disclosed details of its trial application, the FDA's rejection, or the extent of the agency's concerns. As a private company, it is not required to disclose such regulatory interactions to investors. During the hours-long November presentation, Musk said the company had submitted most of our paperwork to the agency without specifying any formal application, and Neuralink officials acknowledged the FDA had asked safety questions in what they characterized as an ongoing conversation. All right. I view everything that you just read as no different than the description that I wrote for the tax episode we did with Alphonse, which is playing this morning as we record this. Basically, what we know now is the Beatles were a construct. They were a Tavistockian construct. In other words, they were put there to socially engineer. The words in the word taxman, which I included in in the description, are what they wanted blasted out to hundreds of millions of minds in the world. That's what Elon Musk is. In my view, Elon Musk is a freaking mouthpiece mascot that goes out and says the things for the controlling mechanisms of our world. After all, let me ask a simple question here, Mr. Musk. How is it that you are the arbiter of the future of cars, the future of space, the future of computing, the future of AI? the future of medicine, the future of transhumanism. It's like, why do we need any other company in the world? Because we have Elon Musk. And to me, everything that was just laid down is the slow creep to inserting into our minds and our imagination what they want us to know and think about as they slowly creep towards whatever goal they actually have. I mean, am I alone here? Is there anyone else in the room who? doesn't have a problem with the Herculean role that old Elon Musk plays in our world. By the way, Jason, remember that old text on Mars? Was, was it Asimov? Was it one of the Asimov things? Um, the, no. The governor of the colony of Mars' name was Elon? The Elon was the name of the title, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're playing from a script here. This is all programming. In the same way, if you go back to the Alphonse episode which is 510, and look at my description, I made the joke in the title, one for you, 19 for me, I'm the tax man. Well, there's your 911 encode in 1966. How? How did they know? And the last part I pulled was what they really want you to know. If you take a walk, I'll tax your feet. If you sit down, I'll tax your seat. If you get too cold, I'll tax your heat. The psychological introduction of ideas and words is actually what's at play here. Um, And I know that's a little off point, but I just can't take too much more of hearing all the magical things that Elon Musk does. I don't know how you feel about the man, Jason. Uh, He's a mixed bag, that's for sure. I never know what to make of him. Sometimes he says some really good stuff and sometimes he says some really crazy stuff. So I just... Take him as he comes, and no matter what he really is, he certainly is an influential player on the world stage. He feels like a mascot for the new world order to me. That's what it feels like. Um, and this whole idea that you know NASA somehow can't you know can't do space anymore, and we got to go hitch a ride over at Russia, and all this downgrading. 
that's been going on for decades. Um, what they're actually doing is they're privatizing. The new world ahead of us is going to be corporations controlling government. There are those who would call that fascism. And so what Elon represents, even if he's exactly who he says he is, and he's just the magical dude who's calling the shots for every aspect of modern life, what he actually is, is the future of the new world order. Basically, corporations seeking to control everything. Anyhow, Jason, anything you want to add before we roll up our one of 511? Well, there's a lot more to break out here. Uh, we're going through not just what transhumanism is now, from what I can gather from current news articles and such, but also where it is they want to take this stuff and how likely that seems to be. It seems to me, in closing for the first hour of episode 511, that it has been openly admitted by action, by intent, by everything, that there is a dark force loose on the face of the world. And it is openly trying to prevent human beings from executing their spiritual mandate. That's it. That's the game here. Everything we see from my point of view is to do anything they can to cap the abilities of a human being. And what we see done in the open now would have been hell to pay in the old days. Um, any kind of Satanistic or devil things, you know, bandied about. For children on stages 20 years ago, people would have lost their damn minds. <clears throat> this is becoming commonplace. Even the idea of what's the greatest of all time, well, that's a goat. It is all openly pushing a, I don't want to say a spiritual intent, it's a lack of spiritual intent. In the same way, there's a silly idea that what Satanism is, is the opposite of everything you find in the Bible. Oh, they got a cross, so we'll turn it upside down. It's this, I don't know, it's like the contrarian idea. <clears throat> but the point I'm making is that's what this is. All of this hyper-materialism and tech, from my point of view, is to prevent the spiritual inheritance that we have all been granted by dint of having been born in this creation. With that, that's our one of episode 511. The first hour is free to everybody at pro777radio.com. That is C-R-R-O-W 777radio.com. And members know to log in for the full two-hour, two-hour-plus two episode. They get access to the forums, to the comments under each episode, and to the movie Shoot the Moon, which is two hours long. It's won a number of awards and has some astounding footage shot through high-end optical gear. With that, I hope to see you on the other side. We've got a lot more to cover here. And over the next one or two years, this is going to be a front row seat to the biggest game in known memory, I would suspect. Anyhow, I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. There it is, man. Cheers.
belief is the enemy of knowing.